Time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, the fun continues. Had the chance to fill in for Randy Carricker today. He'll be back with you tomorrow. Michelle Smallman in studio. Scoops with Danny Mac. It's Chris Raby. And Chris Raby now working at ScoopsWithDannyMac.com. So if you want to go to ScoopsWithDannyMac.com, you can hear his great uh, content. He's got a show every day. Last week, man, you were rolling it up. You had uh, Big Cat from Barstool. You had Jack Flaherty. I mean, you were uh, were rolling, baby. You were rolling. Just trying to keep up. This is the Danny Mac takeover. I love on ESPN it. 101. I, you know, that's okay. That's why I wanted you to come in because I'm, I'm on fumes, baby. There's a lot I'm going on, on, man. Like you think about the World Series ending, immediately some moves being made or not made, decisions made by the Cardinals and teams around baseball. And now we're kind of, I think, being catapulted into an offseason where there's a lot of unknown and a oh, lot yeah. of, you know, um, a lot of how we know free agency and, and what we know about the industry is going to be different over the next couple of months. And it'll change. It'll change a ton of things. Really curious about fans, their reaction to the Wong situation. What did you think? Twelve and a half million dollars. They don't pick up the option. So they save eleven and a half. It's a one million dollar buyout on that. Um, what'd you think? I was surprised. I understand from a revenue standpoint that a team like the Cardinals, who depends on gate revenue to drive a lot of what they do, suffered last year, like a lot of teams suffered last year. But I also think it's very fair to point out that for a team that has tried, fair enough, they've tried to make improvements offensively. But what's been their bread and butter? What's been the one strength of the team over the last couple of years? It's been run prevention. It's been pitching and it's been defense. They haven't been creating runs. They haven't even necessarily been creating opportunities to score runs. So what have they been doing? They've been preventing runs. And now you've taken one of the best run prevention pieces in all of baseball out of the mix. You have weakened what was the one strength of a team that was already vulnerable in a lot of different areas. So, you know, I get it. Twelve and a half million dollars. But for a guy that is probably going to be a two time gold glove winner and who rates out as one of the best defensive players in baseball, who was one of the best combinations up the middle with Paul DeYoung, you have you have weakened the one area of your team that's been consistently strong over the last couple of years. One of the things it tells me is, number one, payroll flexibility does. I mean, any way you want to look at it, eleven and a half million dollars is now off the books um, but it also tells me that they probably looked at these postseason teams and then the evaluation of what they saw in the regular season they're not slugging they're not hitting for power and if you look at what was left in the postseason like Tampa Bay Tampa Bay really didn't hit but when they did a lot of it was Randy Rosarena granted but when they did it was bombs and it was damage and so they're saying look we're, we're looking at where the industry is we don't have it, and we got to get it. There's not a lot more uh, keep the line moving, right? Like, there's not a lot of station to station. It's just this is where the game is being played. Exactly. And the problem is the team that you've built and the lineup that you've built, because Colton Wong at $12.5 million on a on a good team, you know, you put him on a team with, with a league average offense. That's an incredible asset. But the combination of what they haven't been able to do and what they haven't been able to do from a revenue standpoint, I guess uh, he was the odd man out. I'm, I'm sure he'll land he'll land on a great team 
and probably be a really good piece. I don't know if he'll get the money that he would have gotten if this contract had played out with the Cardinals, but he's a heck of a player. We sure know he's a heck of a person, too. Bill DeWitt III was on with Ribs and BK last it was either Thursday or Friday. I think it was Friday. And really good interview. Really good. One of the things they talked about is the approach next year, whether or not there are fans in the stands at Bush Stadium. Yeah, we keep kind of changing based on what we think may happen. But I think maybe the most likely would be restrictions to begin with. Um, and then at some point during the season, maybe those get lifted and you have perhaps unrestricted. Uh, who knows, right? It all depends on the vaccine and treatments and um, city and county ordinances. But, um, you know, I'm kind of thinking some sort of a hybrid approach is most likely. I'm certainly praying for a miracle and hoping that opening day could be unrestricted. Boy, we all are. And that's it in a nutshell. No one knows. And I know that as a fan, you're saying, hey, you keep Wong, you keep Yachty, you keep Molina here in town. He finishes up a Cardinal. You look at Wayno, you bring him back, and then you, you, you go out and spend, and you realize there's deficiencies offensively, and you go out and get those guys. It's just not as easy as is is it, it's going to be for maybe another team like the Mets. I was bringing up the Mets today. They got a new owner. Maybe they go out and spend money. The Yankees will probably spend money. You look at um, maybe the Angels, certainly the Dodgers. There's four or five teams that I, I think will spend money that would be pandemic, non-pandemic, whatever. Everybody else, when you start seeing all these very good players out there already, gives you an idea of where the market is going. It's going to be a tough, tough market in the winter. It just yeah. is. Yeah, I think it is. And and again, it doesn't help that you have moved some guys that are under cost control and under team control over the last season, two seasons, two and a half seasons that could round out that roster. And again, you know, I went through on, on my show on scoopsdannymac.com the list of the guys that every team in the division has moved on from. This isn't something unique to the Cardinals, and it's certainly not something that uh, I, th- I think the Cardinals can be singled out for, but that's when this comes really in, into focus is when you don't have the guys that are rounding out not just the roster but the lineup that are making league minimum or are still pre-arbitration eligible, pre-free agency. So, yeah, this is going to take some creativity. It's going to take uh, tightening some some bootstraps and, and figuring out how you can hopefully bring revenue in while you're controlling expenses going out at all levels, at all levels. So that means Wayno, that means Yachty, that means you're thinking about do they retire as Cardinals? What's the value put on that? And that was talked about the other day as well. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult. I mean, you know, we've always prided ourselves on um, sort of being able to keep our guys who we've invested in long term, with some exceptions, of course. Um, and, you know, some teams have the attitude of just whatever the numbers say, whatever the dollars say, we're making that decision. And then and you, you rarely have iconic players stay the whole time. And, you know, we could all think of some teams like that. Then you have teams that um, maybe kind of over-sentimentalize, you know, their, their stars and maybe make some, some mistakes as they um, try to just chase you know, legacy numbers and things of that nature. And I think we would certainly be on that side of the spectrum more so with perhaps than a club that's just, you know, all about the dollars and cents. Um, And for those two guys, I mean, you know, the contributions are, are, are incredible. I mean, this entire era, when you look at the common denominators of our success, you know, 
certainly Yachty's been behind the plate the whole time, and and Wayno, um, you know, ninety percent of that time. So, you know, with some injuries um, that have uh, hurt him a little, but you know, I mean, just and and you mentioned it. They're they're great guys. They um, they're part of a um, the leadership culture in that in that clubhouse. And we'd certainly love to see them uh, end up as um, finishing their career as Cardinals. 636, he says, uh, the Cardinals are on a rebuild. Why bring back the dynamic duo? What can they provide? Actually, I think they provide a lot. Um, intangibles, certainly with leadership, handling the game, um, mentoring a Jack Flaherty, as Jack talked about on your show on my website, what Wainwright does. Um, I think that's important. But then if... Yachty goes, and, and again, there's going to be a free agency class that's out there. You can bridge the gap to get to Herrera, but it just seems like it would be the fit to have him have that two-year deal, get to Herrera, who's a very good young-looking catcher. Maybe it's Andrew Kisner. I'm not so sure I'm sold on that. I'm not sure the Cardinals are, but it just seems like they still do provide something outside of just legacy and and those kind of things of, of mentoring. They're still very good players. They were two of the best on this last last year's team. I understand they're 38 and 39, but the alternative is what do you have? I like these guys. They still could play. Yeah, Yachty's still a very good player at a position that's that's really hard to find in Major League Baseball. And Adam Wainwright's been your best, consistently your best pitcher over the last year and a half, probably, certainly over over, over last year. So I think that, again, it's got to make sense from, from a year and from a dollar standpoint. Imagine Yachty going and playing for Tony La Russa in Chicago. Well, and taking over that team as as a veteran leader. Uh, it makes some sense. And they were asked about that. At least Bill DeWitt was. Bill DeWitt uh, the third thoughts on Tony La Russa heading to the Chicago White Sox. Well, I wasn't surprised. Um, <laughs> you know, because I know how competitive Tony is, and he's still a very energetic guy. And <laughs> I know he's been somewhat. You know, he's been involved in the game at a. At a at the front office level now and at the MLB level for all these years since 2011. And I know it, even though he really loves being a part of it, I think it's somewhat torture for him to be in the front office. (laughs) I think he even had a quote, something like that, where he just, he just burns to be down there and being a part of it and, and working with players. And, um, you know, he's, um, I think I heard Tom Ackerman earlier today talk about the fact that, He's always had really high-profile jobs, you know, since the early White Sox days, and teams that, um, you know, had a lot of talent. And he's always been able to kind of um, balance that talent, the young players and the older players, the veterans, etc. Um, you know, he won't have dunk with him, which will be interesting. But um, I think he'll do a good job um, for sure. And I think um, he's got a really lot of talent there with Chicago. So I wouldn't put anything past him, to be honest. I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens, though. Don't put anything past Tony LaRusso. By the way, my guest, Chris Raby, here in studio, is a Chicago native. So what are your... Uh, With a your... brother that works for the White Sox. Oh, does he? I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Which, what role does he have? He's in their front office. Is he really? I didn't know that. Sabermetric guy? What's he doing? Analytics? No, he's in marketing. And okay. a lot of the... They're kind of merging all of the aspects of sales, marketing, the baseball stuff. It's What's he say about it? Man. Uh, well, he'd like to have some tickets that the club could sell. Yeah, but I, I would imagine. It's moving the needle. I'll tell you what. It's it's in a variety of ways. I think that there is... And, and this is what I kind of... I guess roll my eyes at now, but I'd probably be in the same boat if I had not spent the last seven years in St. Louis... 
is that there is this perception for anyone I feel like that doesn't really know Tony of what he is or, or who he is as a baseball guy. There is this perception from the outside that he is this almost dinosaur kind of old school guy where, you know, he was one of the first analytically inclined managers no in the last two decades. You think about him and Dave Duncan hand drawing spray charts and you think about inventing bullpenning and the fact that he managed guys like Ricky Henderson and Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. And, you know, now there's this thought that, oh, he's not going to get along with with guys who flip the bat or he's not, you know, he's he's going to be too old school or like that's people I feel like who don't know what Tony La Russa is and, and who he is and and what he's done over the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years since he left the Cardinals. I know you've talked about it at nauseum, Dan, that he'll be at these games and, and he's charting everything yep. and he's incredibly analytically inclined. And I feel like this could be the perfect bridge that the White Sox could gap where maybe they find the next guy who will be the long term guy. But in the short term, a team that is perhaps ready to win a little bit sooner than anyone in that organization thought now brings in someone who has done nothing but win in his entire career. And by the way, the Hall of Fame can go and pound sand like the, the fact that some of the Hall of Fame representation from the baseball writers are are upset that he's going back to manage like we thought it was his entire body of work right. like we would never have allowed him in our club like go away like you're lucky that Tony La Russa has graced you in the National Baseball Hall of Fame with his illustrious career so buckle up man I'm excited for it I, I totally agree it's a great way to put it I think here in town we, we saw him for so long 16 years we kind of knew how he operated and he was still evolving at that point right. of his career he was still open to anything and and he did his talk show on Sundays and he would encourage fans to call in you know intimidating man and so fans would say hey Tony you know that game on Wednesday what were you thinking that was stupid. And this is before he had won the world championship, even in 06. And he invited that stuff because he wanted to, you know, basically explain himself to the fans. talking baseball. I, I think that won some people over. I think what happened with the Daryl Kyle situation, how he managed that team through that, uh, the fact that they won a ton, obviously, is going to, you're going to endear yourself to that community. He did a lot in the community. He was always visible in the community. Um, so all those things. And I don't think the, the greater picture of him has been painted properly when people say, well, here's this guy. He hasn't been in the league for nine years. No, he has. He's been doing a lot. Front office jobs, Major League Baseball jobs. You look at any game, he's up in the press box. He's probably managing along like we all do. Whether I'm calling a game or not, I'm trying to manage along with the guy there. If you're sitting at home having a beer watching the game, you're managing along with him. Oh, I wouldn't do this move. I would do that move. It does happen. Um, the other thing I think about, too, Chris, as it pertains to this, he's bilingual. He's fluent in Spanish. Um, so he's going to be able to, to get and communicate with those players. And if they bring in a Molina, they just say, go ask him. Tell, 100%. Ask, him, ask him if he's a guy that can lead us to the next level. I don't see how it's any different than than Dusty Baker, who was lauded and was talked about as potentially manager of the year. Dusty was in the league until 2017, but, you know, Dusty never left anywhere on his own volition. Right. Dusty's 71, 72 years old, and Dusty has done a lot less winning than Tony. So if you're talking about a guy who can – and Tony's not taking over a controversial, you know, ship that's that's sinking. So 
I think it's great. You're on the I cusp think people, of winning. I think people will be blown away, and I think the White Sox front office will probably and rightfully so have a lot to say about the staff that, that's around him. Chris Raby is with us. He's doing some work at ScoopsWithDannyMac.com. Again, he had Barstool on last week. You had Jack Flaherty and a number of different guests. You had Adam Wainwright? Yep. We had Mike Schultz. So we, we stay busy over there. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. A skirmish near the line of scrimmage, and everybody gets in there and says, come on now. We got some tempers flaring over there. I see. I believe that was Coach Mullen, and now this is starting to get a little bit out of hand. Yeah, Florida needs to get out of here. They got a big game next week against Georgia, and I think that's what Dan Mullen was trying to do: is prevent any any one of his players from doing something stupid. This is getting ugly. This punch is being thrown. Yeah, that's getting beyond ugly. That's another one thrown. Zachary Carter in there for Florida. Oh, this, is, this is getting bad. Mizzou got pounded, and then there was the benches clearing from the sidelines. Uh, ugly weekend, 41 to 17. Eli Drinkowitz talked about his perspective of the fight. Honestly, I don't, I don't really know. You know, I, I was watching. My eyes were on the ball. We played the ball. Ball was knocked away. I was started running in and saw one of their coaches on our hash yelling at our guys. And then I saw more of their players join in. Then our players joined in and. We got to keep our guys from joining in. We got to keep our guys from the sideline. It's an ugly scene. It's an ugly scene for football. It's an ugly scene for college football. And I'm not proud of it. And I don't know who started it, but um, yeah, I mean, we got to figure it out. We got to get it fixed. I, I, you know, like I said, it's, it's disappointing. I'm not for that at all. And I don't know. And I don't know why they were running over to our hash. I, I have no idea what even kinda they were yelling about. So uh, we'll take a look at the film. Um, but then I'm sure we'll we'll find out more tomorrow when we watch the tape. Tape film doesn't lie. Chris Raby is uh, with Scoops at DannyMac.com. He's in studio for this hour. You're laughing as you're listening to I that. I know what they're yelling about. Trajan Jeffcoat almost decapitated <laughs> right. the Florida quarterback. He almost decapitated him. Yeah, it was a little late, and they weren't real happy. He took like three more steps. And come on, man. So also after the game, Eli talked about meeting with uh, Coach Mullen, the Gators football coach head coach after the game yeah i just said you know figure out what happened it wasn't exactly pleasant at halftime so just trying to figure out what happened and see if we can get it fixed i thought both sides did a nice job in the second half and not letting it bleed over to the second half yeah i think chris just explained what happened he almost (laughs) decapitated him and then just to kind of wrap it up the 41 17 loss his thoughts on that yeah didn't play well enough on the road to give ourselves an opportunity to beat a top 10 team uh, there's no excuse for it. Didn't play well enough offensively. weren't able to control the line of scrimmage defensively. Um, you know, we we had a couple of busted coverages. They had three straight possessions there where they scored um, four half that really put the game in doubt. And you know, offensively we had a bunch of drops. So uh, got to improve. Got to get a lot better. I thought this would be a more competitive game. You had Florida dealing with you know their COVID-19 issues and couldn't play. Mizzou had back-to-back wins. They all of a sudden beat Kentucky, and they did it with a just a running style. And then the, the weekend or two weekends before that, they had the electrifying win over LSU, so a lot of momentum going in the game. And then that was a thumping. I mean, yeah. that, that one was tough to watch. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I think maybe our perception changed a little bit after watching the way Mizzou played against LSU in Kentucky. LSU maybe isn't even what we thought they were a few weeks ago. That doesn't, for me, they diminish. They are who they thought. Yeah. All right, sorry. <laughs> 
We let him off the hook. <laughs> let him off the hook. I still hook. remember watching that game. Shout out Brian Erlacher. Shout out Bears. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with all due respect to our man here in the LSU hoodie, like, still a great win. I think the Kentucky win was still a great win. And this is a Mizzou team that I think is still a little bit ahead of schedule. And you go down to Florida, play a team that legitimately is a top 10 team, will be in the SEC championship game. And you get dumped. You do it on the road, and, and that's fine. This this happens sometimes, you know? I think the difference is that whereas if this had happened last year or the year before under Barry Odom, I guess they did win somehow in the swamp a couple of years ago under Barry Odom, there wouldn't have been really anything peripherally that would give you excitement about moving forward after a drubbing like this. But I do feel like there are areas in which you're getting better. This team... You know, there are areas in which to be excited about. So um, someone's yeah. upset with you, by the way, on the text line. This is from Please. the 314. It was a late hit, not a dirty hit. Oh, Mullins was the instigator of the brawl. Not come a on, dirty man. Hit. Not a dirty hit. I'm, I, I went to Mizzou. I'm saying this. Go look at that replay. He almost took the dude's head off. He, he, he may as well have had a crowbar him and prying the dude's Now you're taking it a little too off. far. Come on. Look, look at the hit. But there's still a lot to be excited about if you're a Mizzou fan. I, I believe that. And I have not been able to say that in a long time. Well, I think he's creative. And I love the fact that when they get a recruit, he's they're, going they're nuts. Better. Yeah, he's his recruiting class, by all accounts, is really good. He's got personality. Yeah. I, so that part of it, I like. It, it does come down to wins and losses, ultimately. But at least there is some excitement with it. Uh, 314, you guys. I'm just watching this hit. On, <laughs> come on. Got to think. Florida has been resting for two weeks, waiting on this game, and have been preparing for two weeks. Tigers have been preparing uh, for other games last been two preparing weeks. Preparing for three opponents. Um, let's see. Uh, you're being you're getting called a buffoon here too, and Dan Mullen. So, I um, <laughs> that, that hit was brutal. Well, and that's, now, that Florida offense is really, really good, guys. Yeah. Well, especially mean, if you take out the QB with a late hit. <laughs> I'm you not, know, that's I'm, how you take them I'm out. Not condoning, somehow. I'm not condoning the benches clearing, but you look at that hit. Like, that's about as bad as it gets. Pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Um, college football in general, making it through the pandemic, which I find to be fascinating. I think in retrospect now, the SEC, with how they're trying to do this, as opposed to Big Ten, Pac-12, it's working. Uh, it's not great. It's not ideal. You've got teams missing some weekends, but they built in basically three to fit in these games, and that's why when you look ahead to the playoff, it's got to be SEC teams. Yeah, I hope they get through. You mentioned that I had Dan Katz, Big Cat from Barstool, on uh, my show on ScoopsDannyMac.com on, on Friday, and, you know, we both pointed out that, like, I can understand wanting, these universities wanting to move forward, but the issue and, and what might ultimately halt this is the greed of, of some of these universities. I know money's not coming in, from a revenue standpoint, from a television dollar standpoint around college football, but you're also bringing tens of thousands of kids back on campuses in some standpoint and then telling them not to leave their dorm rooms or not to go out and party or not to go out and, and be around their friends. So 
I hope it works. I think logistically just the infrastructure that it takes to move a college football team around the country is pretty crazy. So from an SEC standpoint, I'm impressed that they've gotten as much as they've gotten in. And yeah, maybe we'll just, you know what? SEC fans have felt for a long time like the college football playoffs should just be four SEC teams right. anyway. So maybe we'll get our choice uh, or maybe they'll get their, chan- their uh, chances here. Heather Danich of ESPN College Football Insider on where the Pac-12 chances stand right now in the playoff. The best case scenario, obviously, is for an Oregon team to barrel through the schedule, finish undefeated, and win the Pac-12. Yes, pretty hard to argue that, right? But when you look at if maybe Notre Dame loses to Clemson and North Carolina, that probably takes them out of the picture. And then if you have a two-loss team from the Big 12, which is essentially what's probably going to happen because unless Oklahoma State finds a way to beat Oklahoma, which hasn't done since 2015. You're talking about multiple losses for that champion. So what if you have a one-loss Oregon? Maybe. So what do you do if you're Ohio State and you don't make it through a full season, but yet you know talent-wise they can compete with the big boys of college football? You know that. But what if they, they show up and they've got five five games? How can many you put them in? Pac-12 can get in. Like... I mean, do you, do you allow them in? Would you would you rather see an SEC team with one loss or multiple loss Big 12 team as opposed to a team that only played five games, five know, or man. six games? I'm already cringing about the arguments that are going to be made because we have these arguments and we have the inability to, I think, properly evaluate these teams against each other when we have a full body of work every year. Yeah. And now we've got like... The Big Ten showing up late to the party with like a couple of beers. Then the Pac-12 rolls in. It's like 11:45. They're starting to kick everyone out. They're like, no, no, no. But we're here. We're here now. Right. Like, it's just, it, it's so hard. And who even knows? Every time we feel like we have an idea or a handle on how this is going to go and how the next couple of weeks or months are going to go, then something changes. Like. You can't tell Trevor me that Lawrence. the Pac-12 isn't going to have a, yeah, or the Pac-12 isn't going to have a bunch of positive tests. It's going to like what? What if Oregon plays one game, and then their opponents have a bunch of positive tests? It's just, it's out of the hands of anyone right now. This is a complete one-off season, and I hope people don't get too worked up about whatever outcome ultimately pisses people off because you know that's what's going to happen. There's no doubt. There, there's no way to make everyone happy. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Chris Raby is with us. The text line open 65780. We're talking uh, during the break about what the Cardinals do have, and they've got pitching. And you think about Flaherty, Kim, Michaelis. You're hoping, Chris, that he's back healthy. You pencil him in. Um, the the one guy that is not getting talked about enough, it is a huge, massive loss for this team. I, I can't stress that enough. It's Dakota Hudson. Every fifth day, you can count on him. He's giving you five, six, seven innings, really getting better and better and better. That's a big loss for next year. No particular order. You've got guys that will come into camp. I'm sure they're going to tell them, hey, stretch out as a starter when camp opens up. But Oviedo, Gomber, Ponce de Leon, Henesis Cabrera, Ryan Helsley, uh, who am I missing? Anybody else you can think of? Um, John Gant, Jake Woodford. Yeah, Woodford would be a rotation guy. Gant Alec- is bullpen. Alex Reyes. Well, Gant, listen, Gant no, is maybe, bullpen. but he has done everything you've I needed. Know. And if they are short on arms, they will stretch him out because sure. he is an insurance policy. Alex Reyes. Who what knows? do you do with Alex Reyes? 
get him healthy through another spring, and that'll be the first time he's been healthy for, what, 18 months consecutively in a long time. You but, like him, though, as a power arm coming out of the bullpen? I do. I do. I just like him pitching, man. I, yep. I know it's like a cop-out, but I like him pitching. And, and we play this game Carlos Martinez, another one. Carlos Martinez, yeah, another guy. We, we play this game every offseason where we rattle off 8, 9, 10, 11 names for the rotation, but then you're always trying to figure out how to cover innings. Um, yeah, I, I think that the Hudson loss is such a big one because the way he pitches is so suited to this team, and it's what I said earlier about Colton Wong, to this team's strengths of run prevention, keeping the ball on the ground, getting ground balls, being efficient. And, you know, he's another guy that I think five, six, seven, eight years ago, we would have said, oh, you know, he's don't even worry about him and arm problems and Tommy John because, you know, that's kind of just a guy that free and easy and keeps the ball down. He, he isn't your typical overpowering pitcher, but... You know, it's going to be a huge loss. Someone who is polished, someone who, you know, pitched at, at a very high level in college, was able to jump right into the mix uh, at the big league level, pitched in some very, very big spots. And it's going to be a huge, huge loss because he would have been penciled in as, you know, the number two guy next year behind yep. Jack Flaherty. And then we didn't mention Wayno, so that's another guy. But, you know, Carlos Martinez, again, is fascinating. Final year of his deal, obviously should be highly motivated. I love him coming out of the bullpen because I want to see his velocity get back up. And that's where he's been most effective in my mind. Now, I know the numbers would say prior to this year, ERA was about the same. You know, you look at his ERA, starter reliever, but I love the fact that he can come out power arm and give you multiple innings potentially. And remember, you got Jordan Hicks coming back next year. Now, you're going to ease him in. But, you know, it gives you a safety net for a guy that closes, and that would be Carlos Martinez. Yeah, I also wonder if, um, you know, this past year and what happened could be a, a hidden benefit for someone like an Andrew Miller. And I think the Cardinals bullpen could be a real strength next year because of some of the guys who have a lot of mileage or who have been asked to do a lot with their arms for the last year or two. Uh, they could really benefit from some of the time off. And Carlos, chief among them, like you said, he's going to be highly motivated. We know... And it can be so frustrating because the stuff is so good. It's as good as anyone in baseball when it's right. But the question is just, why is it not right sometimes? Why are there these periods when he just looks completely lost? And it seems like no one can can really explain it or, or understand it. So I think that we've seen the kind of weapon he is. They obviously were, were kind of going out of their way, at least to my opinion, Dan. It, it felt like to appease him a little bit coming out of camp last year if he had been healthy and trying to get him back into the mix from a starting standpoint. And if he was right, that, he that's would, what he's wanted. You know, he, he might have been a guy that gives you a start but in the postseason. he post just season. hasn't been no. able to be right. And he hasn't been able to keep that shoulder for whatever reason it is. And I'm not blaming him. I think sometimes we go a little bit crazy trying to prognosticate or, or trying to diagnose what's between the ears of guys. Sometimes it's just the, the human body is not meant to do that. And you look at his you know, motion and, and you look at his mechanic, just the way that he throws a baseball, it's nasty. You know, look at Michael Walker, look at Mark Pryor. People thought he had to go back to Dusty Baker. Shout Perfect out to mechanics. Dusty. Perfect mechanics. It just didn't work. So right. I hope for the Cardinal standpoint, for Carlos's standpoint that he figures it out, he could be a huge weapon, but it's just, it, it's hard to figure out sometimes why it doesn't work. Hey, what are you uh, working on this week as we let you go? I got to cross it over with Rivs and BK. Thanks for coming in by the way, but uh, Chris Ravey, what are you working on this week? 
We're going to look towards baseball free agency and what's going to be the, you know, crazy next couple of months, maybe craziest for the industry over the weekend. The winter meetings are officially canceled. I yep. wonder how the industry is going to react to not being able to meet in person because that's just it's always just a different how things thing, operate. Man. Yeah, man. Teams are going to have to start making some decisions on guys. We're seeing qualifying offers tr- uh, trickle in right now and um, really looking forward to seeing how the industry handles some uncharted uh, territory over the next few months. I think, you know, I was talking about this with Michelle earlier, but during the winter meetings, you know, teams get suites, they come together, it's in person. A lot of deals are either made or at least the the, the, the first steps are, are put there. Doing it on Zoom or trying to do this, uh, this, this way, weird. It's just going to be weird because you're going to have so many guys on that open market to go figure out what you want to do with your team. Well, I know Mo and Gersh and, and the fellas are really going to miss out, you know, getting to hang out with us media members oh, every yeah. night. Really just kind of just kicking it. Just just baseball guys talking. Just baseball. kicking the tires. Just, just kicking the tires. Talking about some deals. Yeah. You know, talking about guys that maybe aren't even on the 40 man. Just, <laughs> just really exploring the nuances of what they're there to do. Hey, great stuff, man. Keep Thanks, it up. Buddy. Thanks for everything. That's Chris Raby of ScoopsWithDannyMac.com. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and uh, we'll cross it over with Rivs BK. Find out what's coming up next. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Well, first thing Rivs says is, uh, whoa, a little early for the crossover, huh? Yeah, Danny, honestly, I'm impressed. Uh, you know, usually we're walking in about yeah. 55, 56, and you're like, ah, I went a little long. It's 1054, bro. It is now. So I- I'm, I'm one minute, okay? How about tomorrow? <laughs> I'll go shorter, and uh, you, come, you come in at 1045, which normally I can't have you guys come in because BK's back there hustling. You're doing your thing. So I, can I count on you guys? Uh, probably not. You yeah, shouldn't count okay. on us for anything, That's what Dan. I figured. You should know that by now. I mean, I know you talk to people around here. Don't count on us. Got it. Got it. Okay. Big Saxy <laughs> coming up. Yes, I'm excited. I, uh, you love Big Saxy. Big Saxy's awesome, man. He's he's awesome on the radio. Like He's got great energy. He's got a great sense of humor, and he's got a ton of knowledge. So I'm looking forward to poking around and, and talking some Cardinals stuff. And obviously, we've got some big stuff coming up on the burner as far as Wayno and Yachty and all that, and we're hearing Colton Wong, that's kind of picking up speed with some teams. So it's going to be fun to, to pick his brain and have some fun with it. Enjoyed uh, the interview with Bill DeWitt III. Really good. Really yeah. good stuff. Billy Billy was awesome. You know, we do uh, we got a, a friendship. He skates with the alumni guys right. and we play hockey. And, you know, it's always – I've talked about this before. I really prefer to make those things a discussion, not an interrogation, you know, because anybody can sit here and just fire off questions to the guy. But I thought his answer, I thought his answers were were honest. I thought he did the best he could. These are tough situations. He said they have, you know, four or five different plans that they, they kind of have because nobody knows what's going on. So yeah, at the end of it all, I really appreciated him coming on, taking the time. It's a tough time to talk about anything with Cardinals baseball with the uncertainty. So yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Good stuff. Big Saxy coming up. Ribs, BK, Alex, Scotty, great job. And I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.